Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, this isn't in my notes, but uh, I wanted to take a minute before we get started. If you are part of the worship team, whether you were on stage today or not, I want you to do me a favor and, and stand up. If you're part of the worship team, if you're part of the media team behind that, I want you to stand up. I want to take a minute to give these folks some major props. Can you guys give them a hand? You may not realize this. You can go ahead and take a seat. You may not realize this, but everybody that's part of the worship team here at Church 214 is 100% volunteer. Nobody is paid. They give their time, their energy every week. Every one of them has a full-time job, and yet they come up here and they give it all. They are unbelievably talented, and I just think that they deserve some recognition for what they do every week. I, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but worship really hit me in the fields this morning. You know, I was able to, to listen to the worship set all week and uh, I was just encouraged by it as I was preparing for this message. And I just think that they do an unbelievable job. Well, welcome back to church. Last week was Sela weekend. It was 4th of July. I don't know about you, but I love me some Sela. I love, I love to come to church every week. Coming to church is one of the best hours, if not the best hour of my week every week. But Sailor weekend, man. There's just something about having a purpose-built, set-aside time, not to be lazy. The, the point of Selah is not to just sleep in, although absolutely that's a good idea. It's not just to be lazy. The point of Selah is to have a time where we pr are purposeful about our appreciation for what God is doing in our life. It's a time to relax. It's a time to spend time with family and friends and loved ones and just be intentional about our time with them. And, and so speaking of sale, I don't know about you, but sometimes I live my life and, you know, not that we live our lives, the Christian lifestyle, to be acknowledged or appreciated, but, you know, the part of the point of living a Christian life is to influence others and, and for to live a life so that other people see how you're living your life and they want to they wanna do and be and be a part of what you're doing. And if you're like me, man, sometimes you're just like, is anybody paying attention? And the answer is yes, they are. You may not see it, but as part of the, the leadership team here at Church 214, we hear stories almost weekly or daily of people and families' lives being changed. And in fact, just this past week, it happened to me. Somebody came up to me and they said, hey, Kip, we're going to actually take a Sela weekend this weekend as well. Now, these, this family doesn't come to our church. They've been a few times. They have their own church. But they started to hear the stories of um, and what Sela is and what its purpose is and, and why we take it. And they said, you know what? We're going to do that too. We think that that's a good idea. We think that that will be beneficial for our family. And so if you're ever out there and you're thinking, man, I just don't think that anybody is paying attention, they are. Well, this week we're kicking off a new series called No Doubt. As we were putting this series together as part of the teaching team, we knew as soon as the idea was brought up that this would be a critical series for our church. Not because everybody loves to talk about doubt, Although the reality is, is that probably most people here have struggled with doubt in some season of life. We realized it would be crucial because we needed to have a conversation of what doubt is, that all of us, for the most part, experience doubt in some season of life. 
And so we knew it was going to be a very important series. So whether or not you, you struggle with doubt, or maybe you're kind of a, a skeptic and you're like, man, I, I just don't know. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're like, man, I just, I'm an unbeliever. I just don't believe. Or maybe you're like me. You love Jesus. You have no question that God is who He, is, who he says He is. But from time to time, you just struggle with questions about, man, is, is it really what I think it is? You see, we live in a society where there is a constant narrative woven throughout everything we see, we listen to, the schools we go to, that God doesn't exist and Jesus never existed. And there's this vocal minority that's constantly trying to weave doubt into your hearts and your minds, and mine as well. But the reality is, is that even with this doubt, even with this, this narrative that's going on, the church is still growing. And it's stronger, I would argue, than it ever has been in history. The church that we're in today is here because of believers like you that are here. And so, we're going to be talking about really doubt as it relates to our faith. But there's other kinds of doubts too. I mean, we've experienced these, right? There's, there's self-doubt. There's doubts about relationships that you might have, important relationships. You're kind of wondering about those. Doubts about maybe your ability to perform in your occupation or at school or the team that you're a part of. Or maybe doubts in the back of your mind about whether or not you're the leader that you think you are or that you've been called to. Regardless, the thing about doubt, simply put, is that it is an inner uncertainty about a belief or a circumstance. That's what doubt is. And whether you classify yourself as a doubter or a skeptic or an unbeliever or someone like myself who believes but yet just struggles from time to time, it helps to understand that all types of doubt fall into one of three categories. We're going to go through these in just a second. We're going to go through them briefly. But all doubt falls into one of three categories. The first type of doubt is intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt is the type of doubt that's often brought up by those outside the Christian faith. Intellectual doubt these are the, the folks that they don't believe, they don't subscribe to the Christian faith, and so they have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts about the authenticity of the Bible, the authenticity of Jesus' claims, the authenticity of the resurrection. These are questions that intellectual doubts have. And I, I actually gave a, a message a few weeks ago on how to enter into conversation with someone who has intellectual doubts. And if you want to know more, you can go back and listen to it. The second type of doubt is circumstantial doubt. This is the type of doubt that most doubt falls into. These are the, the why questions of life. Why did this happen, God? We've all been there. Rather, you're on this end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum. We've all had these questions. Things like, God... Why is my marriage not working out the way that I thought it was supposed to? Or why did that friend betray me? 
Or why did I get promoted only to be let go a few weeks later, God? These are the questions of why. Circumstantial doubt. And we've all had these, these issues or these troubles or these circumstances that come into our life and we find ourselves asking questions, why? And the lie that's told, and you probably have all heard it because I've, no, I've heard it, the lie that's told in your heart is, man, this circumstance probably wouldn't really happen if God really cared about me, would it? Circumstantial doubt. The last type of doubt is spiritual doubt. Spiritual doubt is the questions that people ask when they are a believer. If you're within the Christian camp, you probably have spiritual doubts. And these come and go and they can come in seasons, but they're, th they're questions like, God, why do I find it so hard to pray sometimes? Or why... Do I still struggle with this temptation even though you've told me that I shouldn't? And why or could you possibly love me even with that background or that sin still in my life? And so knowing the type of, of doubt that you have is half the battle. Intellectual doubt, circumstantial doubt, or spiritual doubt. If you struggle with intellectual doubt, there's ways to get around it. There's two things. Two things with intellectual doubt that you need to do. The first is, if you struggle with intellectual doubt and you're here today or you hear my, hear my voice and you struggle with intellectual doubt and you're like, man, I just, I don't know if any of that is true. The first thing that you should do is you should find a believer and talk to them. Believe it or not, we didn't come out of the womb believing. At some point in life, everyone who follows Christ made a decision consciously to follow him some of us made that decision much later in life and so actually went through the process of i mean some people i know man they 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 did their due diligence man they went they did their homework they looked at all the religions they read the different science articles they did everything and made the decision to follow christ so if you struggle with intellectual doubt find a believer and ask them their story chances are they're going to be really excited to tell you about it how they made the decision to follow Jesus. And then secondly, read. Read. You know, sadly, other than the Bible, I, about everything that I read is actually counter to what my belief structure and worldview is. And I do this on purpose. I do this because if you read things that don't prop up your belief system, it's really going to challenge you to see if you really believe what you think you believe. So if you struggle with intellectual doubt, read things that challenge your worldview. Read things that go against what you think you believe. Secondly, circumstantial doubt. If you struggle with circumstantial doubt, there's two things that you can do here. The first is have a great network of people that can help you when the circumstances come. When the storms of life come, have a network of people that can remind you the truths about God's love and his plan for your life so that when you have these situations, they can come around you. My wife and I are incredibly blessed. We have an unbelievable network of people, friends and family, that if we made a call in the middle of the night that we needed prayer, they would be there for us and us for them. If you don't have that, 
build it. If you want a friend, be a friend. Build a network of people in your life that when the storms of life come, they are there to support you. And secondly, and more importantly, memorize Scripture. Memorizing Scripture isn't just for the sake of memorizing Scripture. It, I mean, that doesn't help you. The point of memorizing Scripture is that when the storms of life come, you have the promises of God memorized. And you can call on them and know that yes, God does care for you. He does love you. He does want you to prosper. Memorize Scripture. This is a, a foolproof way of combating circumstantial doubt. And then with spiritual doubt, the number one thing that you can do with spiritual doubt is pray. Prayer is God's intended way of combating spiritual doubt. If you're having doubts, pray. Have a conversation with Him. Ask Him, God, I'm having these doubts. Have a conversation with God and ask Him to help you with those doubts. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes. But ask Him to reveal Himself to you. The thing about doubt is, is that, as I mentioned before, just about every single person has had struggles of doubt from one time or the other. And the thing is, is that I can make you feel better about that. Would you like to feel better about your doubts? In order to feel better about, I want to feel better about my doubts, in order to feel better about our doubts, we simply need to go back to the first century, Jesus' ministry. You see, all around Jesus, there were people that doubted him. And I'm not talking about the people that Jesus was, his ministry threatened. Of course, those people doubted the claims of Jesus. We're talking about the people within his own camp, his disciples. A message about doubt wouldn't be complete without mentioning Thomas. If you've been in church long, you know where I'm going with this. Thomas the twin, or unfortunately as he's better known, Doubting Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples and he was committed to the ministry of Jesus. And yet, I'm going to come to Thomas's defense. I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you why I don't think, I think Thomas got a bad rap here. Thomas, well the reason Thomas gets the name Doubting Thomas is because at the, at the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas wasn't there for the crucifixion or the resurrection, and some of the disciples come back and they go, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Can you really blame Thomas for being like, I don't know, guys. We should probably have a conversation about how legit what you're saying is, even though Jesus predicted it, and even though Thomas saw all the different miracles and ministry of Jesus, man, that is a bold, bold claim that you are going to predict your death and come back to life. And so Thomas, man, I, I don't know if I can blame him for kind of being hesitant. But I don't think that that is the personality of Thomas. And the Scripture actually paints us a different picture of Thomas. If we look in John... Mary and Martha are with Lazarus and they send Jesus a text. Dude, you got to get here. 
Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And Jesus gets the text. He's out of town. He's with the disciples. And Jesus says, hey, guys, we got to go back. Lazarus needs us. And I love what it says in Scripture. It says, they're like, they're like Jesus, Jesus, only a few days ago, the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? This has never happened to me. This might happen to you. But has your wife or significant other ever asked you a question that was not a question? <laughs> Jesus, are you really going to go there again? That is, that is the, the underlying tone, I think, in the Bible here. The disciples are going, Jesus, you're not going there again. They were ready to kill you, and they're going to kill us by association. Jesus says, Guys, it's time to put your big boy pants on. We're going back to Judea. And the reason that I think Thomas gets a bad rap is because what he says here. Thomas the twin says to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Let's go to and die with Jesus. That is not the statement of an unbeliever. That is the statement of somebody who is fiercely loyal and 100% committed to the ministry that Jesus is setting out. Thomas the twin. I think Thomas, I'm going to come to his defense, like I said, I think Thomas, in a moment of circumstantial doubt, allowed it to affect him in a spiritual doubt sense. Of Heidi and I. But then on the other hand, there's Peter. Faithful, loving, loyal Peter. Jesus' favorite disciple. The same Peter who drew a sword against a whole group of Roman soldiers to defend Jesus. And the same Peter... Then in Matthew 16 says, Now I say to you, Peter, this is Jesus speaking, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Speaking of Scripture to memorize, that's a really good one to memorize, especially in today's age. The powers of hell will not conquer it. This is a pretty incredible thing to have said to you. Peter has just been told by Jesus, hey, when I leave, because I'm about to leave this place, and when I leave, this whole thing's on your shoulders, man. This whole thing is on you. You are the one that this church, the church that we're sitting in today, is built on. And yet, here's poor Thomas over here. Thomas doubted one time, and he gets labeled Doubting Thomas. And with Peter, we have two prominent stories that are laid out in minute detail of Peter doubting. Two instances. Peter doubts Jesus when he walks on the water or attempts to walk on the water. And Peter doubts Jesus the night that Jesus is arrested 
and illegally tried. Two times, Peter doubts Jesus. The person that Jesus selected to build his church here on earth doubted Jesus two times, twice as many times as Thomas. <laughs> Do you feel better about your doubt yet? So I said I was going to go back to the, the spiritual doubt thing. And I've told this story before, and so I'm going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to tell it fairly quickly. But when Heidi and I were married, I was still in college. And as I had mentioned before, I had had, I, you know, I, I had had a relationship with Jesus today, you know, over 30 years. And like probably many of you, it's had its ups and downs. You know, you, you go in seasons. And Heidi and I were married, and I was in college. And I went to a local college here, a secular college. And the thing about college is, is, is that, man, you, you better have your ducks in a row when it comes to your faith if you're going to go to a secular college because you will be absolutely beat up on daily. And I'm not talking about kind of subtle things going on. I... I can clearly remember I had one professor, a language professor, who would routinely call me out in front of church, or excuse me, in front of the class because I had been vocal about my faith at the time and there was laughter and giggles. I mean, it, it, it's the real deal. If you're going to go to a secular college, man, you, you, better, you better know what you believe. And so... I'm starting to have these doubts. I mean, you can only withstand that for so long, right? And so I'm starting to have these doubts. I'm like, I'm not doubting whether or not God exists. I'm not doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. But I start to kind of go, man, God, is, is everything in the Bible for real? Is it all there in black and white? Or maybe there were some, you know, artistic liberties by those that had written parts of the Bible. And so I start to have these doubts. And so... Heidi and I were going to this different church at the time. And so we go on Sunday morning and there's this, this, um, this uh, uh, missionary that's there talking about how he got back from this missionary trip and there was all these miracles that had happened when he was in like Papua New Guinea or wherever he was at. And so we leave the service and of course during the service I'm having these doubts and I'm like, this guy's, this is, this is crazy. And so I leave the service and I, I ask Heidi, I'm like, hey, hon, have you ever seen like a bona fide miracle, like a legit miracle? I'm not talking about somebody that was like, hey, I was sick and I really wanted to get better, so now I feel better. I'm talking about like dude rolls in on a wheelchair, never walked a day in his life, and he runs out dancing at the end of the service. Have you ever seen one of those miracles? She says, yeah. She says, yeah. And so it was at that moment that I started praying, God, I'm having these spiritual doubts. Remember, prayer is how God deals with spiritual doubt. I started praying, God, I need you to reveal to me that you are who you say you are. Not in a, man, that sunset was really pretty or the cry of a newborn baby or the changing of the leaves type of thing. Like a legit, 
kick science in the crotch. Like, there is no explanation other than God is in control and he is who he says he is. And so I started praying, and it kind of went on and off for a number of years. And then a few years ago, and again, you, some of you have heard this story. A few years ago, Heidi and I are living in a different house. I had a series of dreams, we'll call them nightmares, because they were, a series of nightmares that changed my life from the ground up. And still to today, I struggle with even beginning to explain the impact that this had on my life. One night, I'm in bed, we're asleep, and I have a nightmare. And there is a demon in my nightmare. And this demon, I can't even begin, like, there's no words that explain what this demon was like. The best way that I can explain it is, in science, when you talk about light, the, the, the darkest dark occurs theoretically in black holes. And the way that they explain it is that it's not dark, it's the absence of light. There is literally an absence of light. It's that dark. And the best way that I can describe this demon is that there was an absence of all things good. In the dream, the, the dream goes on and I'm startled awake. And as soon as I wake up, I'm, I'm laying on my back. As soon as I wake up, I flip over to my stomach because I am in such a state of fear. I don't know what else to do. Now, mind you, by this point, I'm like 28 years old. I'm, I'm not a little kid. I flip over onto my belly and bury my face in my pillow. Hands like this, trembling with fear because I'm so scared of what has happened. And as soon as I flip over, I can feel something in the room. There is a presence that is palpable in the room. And it is, with, like I said, I struggle to explain it. The only way I can explain it is an absolute absence of anything good. And so I flip over and I start praying in my pillow. And I'm trying, like I think subconsciously I'm trying not to, to wake Heidi, although I don't really know. And I start praying under my breath into my pillow. And as I pray, I can literally feel whatever the presence is in the room trying to touch me. And so just subconsciously, I start praying even louder. By now, I'm, I'm praying out loud, but it's into my pillow. And then as the, the presence continued to press in, I just started praying the blood of Jesus. At first, quietly, then louder, then so loud that I was basically yelling into my pillow, but it was, I'm sure, muffled because I was yelling into my pillow. By this point, I'm, I'm crying. And it was at this point that there was a change in the presence of the room. At this point, I was not safe yet but I was protected. I continued to pray and as, as sure as I'm standing here in front of you today and you might look at me and you might leave here today and you might go, what I did when I heard the message 
of the crazy guy telling miracles at the church a number of years ago, you might go, whoever that dude was up in the skinny jeans with the boots on is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And that's fine by me because I know what I felt and what I experienced because I had purposely prayed, God, I need you to reveal to me that you are who you are and you are who you say you are so that when the doubts that come into my life can be put in their proper place. And so as I was praying, the blood of Jesus, as I stand here in front of you today, a noise so loud, a bullwhip crack, this sounded like a bomb went off in my room. It jarred me so far out of my bed, I literally like levitated up out of the bed. It scared me so much. And then whatever was in the room was gone. And I proceeded as a late 20-year-old to cry myself to sleep into my pillow, still face down because I was too fearful to turn over in that I might see whatever had just transpired in my room. I had prayed God would reveal himself and he did in a mighty way. And so, back to Peter. Faithful, beloved Peter. Peter was an incredible man. Peter was a believer and follower of Jesus. Peter had been with Jesus shoulder to shoulder. He had prayed with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, ate with Jesus, drank with Jesus. They did everything together. They were in the desert. What else are you going to do? Peter did everything with Jesus. And yet, even with all of that, even seeing every single miracle that Jesus did, Peter doubts. Peter doubts twice. Peter doubts when Jesus is still alive. Thomas doubted after the death and resurrection. Thomas hadn't seen Jesus. Peter doubts while Jesus is with him. When all the chips are down, Peter doubts. And Peter's doubt, not only on the water, when Jesus invites him to walk on the water, but the night of Jesus' arrest and trial. And Peter's doubt that night goes from disbelief from disbelief to disowning Jesus. The same Peter that just a few verses before was ready to draw his sword. Now, he says, I don't even know that man. I don't even know that man. My point is this. It's not to illustrate anything else other than the fact that in a moment of doubt, in a moment of your doubt, remember that those who were physically with Jesus, 
who heard his voice and looked in his eyes, doubted him at one point or another. Peter attempts time after time again to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And we know the story, right? The disciples are out at sea. They're in a boat. And a storm comes up. If you've never been in a boat that's out at sea or a a large lake, any large body of water, when a storm comes up, let me tell you, it is a frightful thing. Being on a a small vessel of any kind at sea when a storm rolls in, man, that's, that's... It'll scare you. And so what happens? They're in the storm. The disciples are scared to death and they see Jesus out on the water. And Peter says, Lord, is that you? And we know what happens. Peter gets invited to come out and walk on the water. And Peter believes that he can do it. And he steps out onto the water. And then as he starts to walk, he starts to sink. In a moment, of circumstantial doubt. He looks at his circumstances and he's like, man, I don't, I don't think I can do this. He starts to doubt and then he starts to sink and Jesus reaches out his hand and saves Peter. I want something from this story to be abundantly clear. Many people think that doubt is the opposite of faith, but it is not. Unbelief is the opposite of belief. In fact, if you have doubts, it's probably the surest sign that in fact you do have faith. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to leave you first with this. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking and praying through one thing just kind of kept coming back to me over and over. Here it is. This is the one thing, guys. This is, this is the one thing that you need to take out of here. This is the one thing that you need to remember. When it comes to your doubt, doubt your doubt, not your faith. Doubt your doubt, not your faith. The disciples, they did ministry with Jesus. They lived their lives with Jesus. And in fact, many of them gave their lives for Jesus. And They did it not for what they believed. People give their lives, guys. Hear me. People give their lives for what they believe all the time. You only have to turn the TV on to see that. All the time. The disciples gave their life for what they saw. They witnessed the ministry of Jesus. They struggled with doubt, and yet they pressed forward. And we're here today because of them. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. I want you to do me a favor. Everybody close their eyes. Open your hands. Set them on your lap. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Why do we close our eyes when we pray or when we dream or when we cry. Why do we close our eyes? We close our eyes because the most important things in life are not seen with our eyes, but with our hearts. 
Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house today. Lord, we, we know that you desperately want a relationship with us. Lord, you pursue us to the ends of the earth, Lord, and you have given us the greatest gift that anybody could ever give in your son, Jesus. Lord God, we pray that if there is anyone here today that is struggling with doubt, regardless of where they're at, whether they are an unbeliever or a believer, Lord, whatever their doubt looks like, Lord, we just pray that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way, in a way that leaves us un, just unbelievably committed to the call that you have on our lives. Lord, we know that there is no question. And when those doubts come in, because the doubts come in in the brain, not the heart. When the doubts come in, Lord, that we, we can look back to that moment when you've revealed to us who you are and that you are who you say you are and that you love us. Lord, you want great things for us. Lord, you want to see us prosper. Lord, we want to be the ones that follow you. Lord, and even though we have never had the opportunity to do ministry with you while you were here on earth, Lord, we pray, Lord, we ask that you would use us in a mighty way to continue your ministry here. Lord, use this church to do great and mighty things, Lord, that there would be a committed group of people here that so are in love with you, Lord, that they will do anything to carry on your ministry. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Amen.